0: an interesting day weather wise. I got up and it wasn't too bad when I got up kinda early. And then I was sitting having coffee with Florine and it started to snow. I mean heavy out there where we lived. It was just you could hardly see across the street. And when I drove here this morning that's the way it was. And then I went out and it was neat again at noon. At least when I left the church after the second service. I met my family, my my daughter and uh, and my wife and we went to lunch and while we were eating lunch this thing moved in again and we got this other stuff. I don't know what's going on. Is this, is this normal for New Mexico? Yes, no, maybe, huh? Okay, normal. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to look with me tonight at um, a passage in the book of James. Now James is one of the most practical books there is. If you've not if you've not taken time to read James and meditate on it, I, I encourage you to do it because he probably gives some of the most clear uh directions regarding the Christian life. In fact, it is so clear, it is so specific about what we should do that through history there have been those who have questioned its validity because He doesn't talk about a lot of grace necessarily, though he mentions it, but it's mostly our responsibility, the things we should do. And it's a great book from that standpoint. I encourage you to read it. But I want us to look at chapter 5 tonight. James, the fifth chapter. He starts out the first part of the section uh, of this chapter, and he's talking to the people who are rich and wealthy. So we'll skip that because it doesn't apply to us anyway. Okay? And then he starts out, and this does apply to us, in verse 7. Be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. I was pleased with that special number we had here about, about heaven. I want to be there too. But for the meantime, we're here. And so, James is saying, be patient. Be patient until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What he means is the judge is observing. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about in his life, I add. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, by not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, Let your yes be yes, and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. if if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray a moment. Lord, enable us to understand. We confess that our understanding is limited. We confess that our eyes are dim very often regarding spiritual truth, and so I pray that you would open our eyes and give us understanding, but more importantly, help us to be willing to put into practice what we understand, what you say to us tonight, and out of this, help us to be men and women that will honor you more effectively as we walk each day in this life as we wait for the Lord's coming. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing that James says to you and me is that we should be patient. Let me ask you a question. How many of you feel that patience is a virtue of yours? I see. Well, I I put my hand up, but not because I think I have patience as a virtue. I just wanted to see if anybody else was going to. None of us has that. We, We all tend to be impatient about a lot of things. Uh The things that that bother us in life that we would like to have changed, our own inadequacies that we wish were gone and, and we could get rid of them. We we tend to be imp- we we be, tend to be impatient with one another. We like to see somebody else change. We bring something to their attention and we'd like to see that change now, and it doesn't happen. Change takes time and change takes work and sometimes it's slow. So what is he talking about here? Well, he says, be patient. And, and then he goes on, he talks about the farmer, the demonstration of patience, and so on. I think I'd like to suggest that among, things, among the things that patience brings to our attention is a willingness to be steadfast in spite of opposition, whatever kind of opposition there is in your home, Family that may not be believers and that think you've lost a couple of bolts somewhere now that you've come to Jesus. And and now you're seeking to follow Him and serve Him and obey Him. And they think, they think something's wrong. I remember in our own family, I have two sisters that are older than I. And they received the Lord first. We moved from here. I was 10 years old. I was born here, as you, some of you know, down on South Broadway and grew up here. But then, because of the depression, we had to move because dad couldn't find any kind of employment. I remember, I remember dad doing everything he could to keep the family fed. We had a friend out in uh, Isleta Pueblo. His name was Lujan, one of the, one of the uh, silversmiths out there. And he made a special ring for each member of the family, a beautiful turquoise ring with a special design for each one of us and gave them to us as gifts. Dad had a beautiful one, a nice big turquoise ring. And I remember the day that we rode in that little Model T Ford down on Central. I don't remember exactly where it was, but there was a piggly wiggly market down there. And... and. We parked out in front, and it had a plate glass window. I could see inside. Dad asked me to wait in the car. He went in. He walked over to the meat counter, talked with the man. Pretty soon he reached down and took off the ring gave it to the man and received a package of meat to take home so that we could eat. And that was the way things were in those days. Some of you can identify with that. You were through that as well. It was good experience. It wasn't always easy, but it was good experience. Well, we moved to Los Angeles when I was 10 because Dad was trying to find employment and he was able to find it there more easily. And my sisters began attending a little little mission there in the neighborhood because my cousins went and they invited them to go. So my two sisters began going and one day they received Christ as their Savior. They came home and told my mom and dad, and dad was not happy a a bit. And from that day on, he called them religious fanatics and just a number of unpleasant things. But my sisters stuck to their guns. And eventually, because of my sisters, I came to know the Lord, and then a year and a half later, mom and dad both did. But there are those who will make it hard for you sometimes when you seek to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart. James says be patient. Don't get upset. Be patient. Hang in there. Remember the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Stick to it. Don't be discouraged by opposition, wherever it comes from. Hang in there. Be patient. But also, I think he's talking here about being patient when God allows us to go through difficult times. Pain or some experience of suffering. And there's a lot of that. You know that. Some of you. Have gone through it or are going through it right now. A hard time. God says that He allows those times because He loves us. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines or tests in order to help us grow, in order to learn to love Him more, in order to learn to depend on Him more. And not to depend on our circumstances. Not to be happy because things are going well. But to be joyful in spite of how things are going. Happiness is that which comes because things are okay. Joy is what comes from God and it's it's His work in us that allows us to maintain that direction and composure and a joyful spirit in spite of the circumstances. And God allows those. He allows them. But what a blessing. What a blessing when by the grace of God, we're able to maintain a joyful spirit. You remember that passage that says, Thanks be to God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the fragrance of His knowledge by us in every place. And when we experience joy instead of complaining, when with patience we accept these experiences that God allows to come into our lives, there is a fragrance. There is a freshness. There is, there is that, that, that sparkling flavor of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because we are rejoicing and not complaining. Some of you have heard me talk about my wife, Florine. Some of you know her. Florine has not been well for years. She almost died in Latin America when we were missionaries. We had to return here to the United States and and for three months she was laid up in bed as she recovered from a very serious case of infectious hepatitis. It's possible that that left her with some weakness. We don't know. But the fact is, she is very weak. She does, ha- does not have much strength. And so she is unable to come to many of the services and she cannot accompany me many times. But she's at home praying. I know that. But I want to say something. I have never seen or heard Florine complain about that. With all of her limitations, with all of her weakness, there is a spirit of rejoicing. And in the morning when we get up, And I go in to shave and she's in the kitchen putting the water on to get the coffee ready and all the rest. I can hear her humming or singing some of our praise songs. And I know she is in pain because she's in pain almost all the time. There's a fragrance. And James is saying, be patient. Don't get upset when little things like that come along. Oh, you say they're not little things. That's a big deal. No, it's only a big deal if we allow it to become a big deal. Because God is greater than these experiences. And he meets our need. And he promises to be with us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. So when James says, be patient, these are some of the things he's talking about. It's the attitude that Jesus demonstrated for us. In fact, we're told that he did this as an example for us in 1 Peter 2.21 and following. He says he left us, Peter says, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. But he trusted himself to God who judges righteously. When Jesus suffered, he accepted it for your sake and for mine. But he also accepted it because he knew he could entrust himself to God who judges righteously. And we can do the same thing. And that's what patience is, you see. Patience isn't just gritting our teeth and saying, I'm going to get through this somehow. Patience is saying, I'm going to get through this with the grace of God. And I'm going to be victorious. And I'm going to rejoice. Be patient. A little word. Tremendous, tremendous importance. Now, he goes on. Notice what he says next. After he talks about the farmer and talks about the Lord's coming is near, he says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Don't grumble against each other. You know, complaining or grumbling, even though we may complain against a person, basically is complaining against God. We're saying, God, why in the world did you allow this person to get into my life? I don't like them. Why did you let me marry this person? Oh, listen, I have heard that in counseling more than once. I don't know why God allowed me to marry this man. Well, you made a choice. Now live with it. I mean that seriously. See, you start looking for doors. We start looking for exits. We start looking for ways out. The, 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 the absolute basic concept of marriage is commitment. In God, commitment, regardless of some of the fluctuations of our feelings. To be to be content in the awareness that God has allowed this person into my life. It may be difficult at times. I'm not talking only about the marriage relationship now. But I'm talking about any of the relationships that we have. I was going through the checkout stand the other day. I do the shopping because, as I say, Florine just isn't able to do that. And in fact, I've met many of you shopping and we've talked over our uh, beans and, and our you know, hamburger and all the rest of it there. And I was going through the checkout and, and there was a lady ahead of me with two little boys. They were very active. Uh, <laughs> And, and and after she had gotten all through and, and they left, the checkout lady said, Man, am I glad I have a job and don't have to be at home with my daughter all day. And I thought, how sad. How very sad. See, to her, the child is a is an impediment. To her, the child is an interruption. And some parents look at their children that way. Some husbands look at their wives and wives look at their husbands that way. He's saying, don't grumble against that person. Don't complain about that person. Instead, instead, ask God, what can I learn in this relationship? What is it that you want me to, to know? What is, what is the thing you're trying to teach me? through the test of this difficult relationship. And instead of grumbling and instead of complaining, I can thank the Lord that he allowed that person in my life. Now that is difficult, my friends. I've done it on occasion. I haven't done it well or done it perfectly, but I want to tell you that every time I do it, it changes the whole attitude that I have toward that situation, toward that person. Don't grumble. Don't complain. In the 73rd Psalm, you may remember, the psalmist is complaining. He says, I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I saw how well they were doing. When I saw that they had much more than I had and they're getting along far better than I am and they're living better than I am, I was envious. And he allowed that envy to build. And then a little later, in verse 13, he says, In vain have I kept my heart pure and cleansed my hands in innocence. What he's saying is this whole thing of trying to honor God isn't worth it. See, I mean, he's really gotten into a a downward spiral. From envy, he's now gone to to self-pity. That's what complaining is. Complaining is self-pity. Complaining is saying, I'm sorry for myself and I don't like this person in my life. James says, don't grumble. Don't complain. Instead, I suggest to you tonight that you ask God for the grace to thank the Lord for that person. You know, that person you work with that's always blowing bubbles with their bubble gum and popping them in your ear? Or, or that, that person you work with that always takes your pen and never returns it? You know, whatever the irritating factors are, thank the Lord for that person. And say, all right, Lord, now there are some lessons I can learn here. I'm not sure what they are, but you helped me to find out and helped me to learn. Them. So James says, don't don't let yourself get into a complaining spirit. And among us as believers, because he's talking about brothers here, it's a complete deviation from what God said that we should do to one another when the Lord Jesus reminded us and He said, a new commandment I give you, that you complain against one another. Isn't that what it says? No. No, it doesn't, does it? It says, a new commandment I give you that you what? Love." one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Instead of complaining, we serve that person in love. Now that takes his grace. But he's promised, hasn't he? For me to move out of a complaining mode into a serving mode for that same person, that takes his grace. But we can do it. We can do it. Then the second thing in this passage that I want us to look at. First, we've seen this matter of being patient. Okay? Now, the second thing is be consistent. See, what we're looking at here tonight, we're looking at the lifestyle of a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. A person who has made a decision and says, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to have experience of His forgiveness and and have the promise of eternal life and and be looking forward to heaven, all the things we heard about. and, And I want that. That's good. But that also means I embrace the responsibility of living in a way that is commensurate with being a follower of Jesus Christ. And these are the things that James is saying we need to do. We need to be patient. Second, we need to be consistent. Notice what he says in verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Instead, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, when you give your word, make sure that you follow it through. Let me read a verse for you from the Proverbs. Proverbs 10 and verse 9. Here's what it says. The man of of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. What we're talking about here is integrity. Integrity. Integrity is a very interesting word. Some of you are familiar with it. You've done a study on it. And you know it comes from a basic word, which means to be whole, to be complete. We use the word in English, integral. We use the word to integrate things, to bring them together. And, and that's the concept of integrity. An integral person, a person of integrity, is a person who is whole, that you can depend on. When they give you their word, they're going to follow through on it. When they say they will do something, they will follow through on it. When they say they will be somewhere, they'll be there when they said they would be there. It's a concept, unfortunately, that is not too representative of our society. In our conversations with one another, we often drop phrases of one kind or another which indicate some kind of action we'll take, which we never do take. It's just a form of, of social expression, social interaction. I'll give you a call in the back of my mind saying, well, I don't want to talk to this person again. I'll drop you a line one of these days. Or I'll get you in touch with so-and-so so that you can talk with them. Or whatever it might be. You see, James is saying, if you give your word to do something, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Be a person of integrity. Mean what you say, and say what you mean. And do what you say you will do, whatever that is. Little things. You husbands around the house. Your wife said, sweetheart, uh, you know, the bathroom isn't functioning very well. We're not getting good drainage, and uh, we need to do something in there. And you say, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work on it. And you keep looking at the sports page or watching the Lobos on television as they get beat. But I have supported them all year. I was sorry to hear about that one last night. Well, the point point is, if you say you're going to do it, do it. There is nothing that is as devastating, as absolutely frustrating and infuriating to our wives than for them to say there's a need... And for us to say we'll take care of it and we never get around to it. That just, that's like a boil. It's just there all the time bothering. They may not say anything, but it's there. So gentlemen, start your engines. And when you give your word, follow through on it, whatever that is. And let your wife know that you mean what you say. And wives, the same thing. All right, to be to be consistent. By the way, it's interesting here. It says, do not swear by heaven or by earth. There's another passage that deals with this, and it talks about not using the name of God in making pledges or oaths. I am continually... Um, I guess hurt by the fact of the misuse of the name of God and the name of Jesus among believers. You see, it's become so accepted now that we just casually say, oh my God, about everything. And we take the name of God in vain. And you hear that in our society, and we've, and we've adopted that. We have. You and I as believers have allowed that to become part of our, of our communication. I'm sure it's displeasing to God. And I don't think it's necessary to use his name in that way. But that's another aspect of this matter of being consistent. Well, one last aspect in this passage that we want to look at now. So the follower of Jesus is to be patient, as we've looked at it. He is to be consistent. And he is to be involved. Now, this is important. We're going to take just a few minutes to look at this. He's to be involved. This is from verses 13 through 10, particularly. Well, actually, on through 19. But look, first of all, he's to be involved with God in verse 13. In prayer. Is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So we're, we're to be involved with God continually. Prayer is not something you do when you get up in the morning and you go off and have five-minute quiet time. That's good. No problem with it. Prayer isn't something you do when we come to church and we all pray together and so on. That's part of it, but it's not enough. Prayer is an attitude that we have in throughout the entire day in which we're just sort of aware of God and communicating with him continually. When we sang that song a little while ago, One Thing Have I Desired of the Lord, I've learned that passage from Psalm 27.4 in several versions, and the one that I like the most is out of the Living Letters, and it says this, The one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all, is the privilege of meditating in his temple. Living in his presence every day of my life. Living in his presence every day of my life. Living in his presence every day of my life. Delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. Prayer is living in his presence. Prayer is being aware of the presence of God all through the day. Prayer is having that continual conversation with that comes up, just talking to him as a father and as a friend. Continual. That's why he says, pray without ceasing. That's how we do it. Just through the day, in every situation. And so he says, Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Any of you happy? Let him sing songs of praise all the day. As a normal part of our experience, praying and praising Him. So we should be involved with God, but then we should be involved with our brothers and our sisters. Look at the next passage. This is verses 13 through 16. Actually, beginning with verse 14. Is any of you sick? And then He tells us what to do. And then He says in verse 16, Confess your sins or your faults to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. Friends, you've heard me say this many times, but the fact is, we need one another. God never intended that we should function independently of one another, but rather interdependently. We need each other. Now, in our church here, we are seeking to encourage more and more participation in the kinship groups for that very reason. In a large group like this or the services in the morning, it's difficult to get too involved with people. We need to be in small groups of some kind where these things can take place, where we pray for one another when someone is ill or when they're struggling, when we listen to one another and pray for each other when someone is willing to admit a fault or a sin, where we seek to restore one another in that in that community. We need that. And James is reminding us of that. The need to be involved with one another, with my brothers and my sisters, in a, in a healing, restoring relationship with them. He says in verse 16 that when we do that, this person will be restored to effectiveness. In in verse 15, notice what he says. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up if he has sinned, and he will be forgiven. Physically and spiritually restored to effectiveness. That goes on in, in small groups. That goes on where you're able to develop relationships of that kind with one another. James is saying, the follower of Jesus commits himself to some kind of a small group where these things can take place, where you can open your life confidently, knowing that the others in the group are going to be faithful to you and not talk about you, and, yet, and, and they'll turn around and try to help you. If you're not involved in a small group, my friend, please ask questions, try to find out how to do it. But let's get involved where these things can begin to happen in our own experience. But then he goes on. Not only are we to be involved with God, not only are we to be involved with our brothers and sisters in these kinds of fellowships, but we're to be involved with sinners, whether they're believers or unbelievers. Notice what he says. The last two verses, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, that's a brother. That's a person who's a believer. That happens. They, they wander from the truth. For one reason or another, maybe they weren't very strong and friends have influenced them or habits have drawn them and they wander from the truth. He says, if that happens and someone should bring him back, remember Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's what we need to do with each other. When we see a brother faltering, not step back and criticize and say, My, did you know about so-and-so and and what they've done? We ought to run as quickly as we can and, and seek some way to restore that person, to let them know we care to help them back. Remember the passage in Hebrews, the third chapter, it says this. My brethren, take care, lest any of you... Now, that's not the way it starts. I have to look it up. Sorry about that. Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving spirit or heart that turns away from the living God. See, that's what James is talking about. When when an unbelieving heart or sin begins to come in and that person begins to fall away, to drift away, the writer of Hebrews warns us, he says, Be careful that that doesn't happen. But, and here's the re, here's the answer to it, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So James tells us, be involved with others in reaching out to those who are stumbling. If you know someone, and they haven't been to church for a long time? Have you stopped to try to find out why? Have you called them? Have you asked them? Maybe they're struggling with something. Maybe something happened that they didn't understand. And, and, and just a, an attitude of love on your part, an expression of love would help to bring them back. And James says, when you do that, you're turning this person from the error of his way And you're going to save him from death and a multitude of sins. And that applies to both believers and non-believers. When we're willing to extend ourselves to help others, tremendous privilege to see God work in their lives. Some of you know that one of the things that I'm involved in and why I can't be more involved here at the church is that we have a ministry going in the city of seeking to reach people that have gotten totally turned off to religion and to church. And we've used a variety of means to do that. And I want to tell you, as we watch some of those people come to an... It's taken time. It doesn't happen quickly because they, they are turned off way, way down the road. And we have to bring them back slowly to a place where they will finally begin to consider the truth of the Word of God in a non-religious setting. And we've watched any number of them come to a knowledge of Jesus and are now growing in Bible study. And eventually, we're praying that they will be willing to get involved in a fellowship because they need that. We have the fellowship of the group. But we're talking about the fellowship of the larger body. There is nothing as as rewarding and as delightful as to be able to be used of God to turn someone in a different direction and watch their lives change. James says that's part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. Not just to enjoy the blessings for ourselves, but to extend ourselves to the needs of others. Three things. Be patient as followers of Jesus because He's coming soon and in the meantime, whatever experience He allows, accept it with joy. Be patient. Second, be consistent. Live your life in the, in the light of what you claim to believe. Let your life be a demonstration of what you believe. And third, Be involved. Be involved with God in prayer and praise. Be involved with my brothers and sisters in seeking to minister to them in whatever ways I can, particularly in a small group. And also to be involved with those who are in the danger of falling away or who don't know Jesus. Very simple little outline that James gives us. But this is what it means to be a follower, a disciple if you please of Jesus Christ. These are the things that he has given us to do. And by his grace, we can do them. Let's pray. We know, Father, that we cannot, we cannot accomplish these things in our own strength. These are the things you've told us you want us to do. But it's true, Father, that we need very, very much your grace, your help, your strength in order to be what you want us to be, to be patient, to be consistent, and to be involved with people as you tell us. So tonight we ask that you'll do that in our lives, that you'll give us an added impetus in the direction of, of doing these things as followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.